Maybe uh, some of you learned that song uh, around a campfire. Uh, maybe some of you learned it in youth group. Maybe you taught it to your children. But a powerful and true imagery for us to cling to. We have a faithful, loving God who provided us exactly what we needed, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, our sin, and he did. Grace, mercy, and peace be and abide with each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our resurrected Lord and Savior. Amen. So, uh, my question as we begin this morning for you is this. How are you doing this morning? The reality is, is sometimes when we gather in here, we're dragging in. <laughs> and uh, even pastors, there's that old joke about, get out of bed and get to church. But I don't want to. Yeah, but you're the pastor. Get out of bed. <laughs> Well, Martha's sound asleep, so that doesn't happen in our house. But, you know, there are some times when we are dragging. Sometimes I, I still feel a little bit like that little boy, and, you know, mom comes in and says, Jamie, it's time to get up. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to. You know, or sometimes uh, when, you know, there was not just going to church, but, I just didn't feel like being joyful. It's a reality of life. And then um, maybe we wonder, why am I this way? I'm a believer. I'm a child of God. I I'm forgiven. Aren't I supposed to be different? Shouldn't I have a new personality? Shouldn't I be confident? Shouldn't I be, you know, happy? Shouldn't I be, you know, outgoing? Shouldn't I be compassionate? Shouldn't I be joyful? But you know that just because we are believers doesn't mean that we have a new personality. Matter of fact, one pastor said this, my problem is everywhere I go, I'm there. There's a lot of truth to that. Now, a lot is going on here in chapter 12 of John, but I want you to focus on how Jesus says, there will be this, and then there will be that. His phrase, in a little while. And I could have done a whole sermon just on that phrase. That one you remember as a kid too, right? Dad, when will we be there? In a little while. <laughs> you know, when can I drive? In a little while. You know, all of that phrase, boy, it was there. There's a whole lot here for us to unpack. Listen again. Jesus said, you will weep and mourn, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And then he gives us that clear and that powerful image of childbirth. That beautiful, clear contrast that in the very same scenario, it goes from pain and, and struggle 
to incredible joy. And he said, So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And I thought to myself, really? Have you lived in this world lately? You know, have you seen what you know, our legislature has recently approved? Have you seen what's going on down the street? Have you seen how families are struggling? Have you seen the mess of families around you? You looked in your own mirror and have you felt the pains and the aches and dealt with the realities of sorrow? And he says, no one will take your joy from you? Really? There are lots of days when I don't feel particularly joyful. And I think that's probably true for most of us. And I'm sure that it was that way for the apostles that night. So is Jesus talking to us about being a certain person, a certain way that we should try to be joyful all the time? What did he mean here? Well, I want you to hold on to this phrase as we proceed both in looking at what Jesus meant then and what Jesus is saying and means for us now, I want you to hold on to this phrase. Easter turns sorrow into joy. Easter, the resurrection, turns sorrow into joy. Now, the truth is this, the disciples at first, they just don't get it. Remember, even verse 12 of our reading said this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. You guys can't handle it. As you look through the whole section, this section of John, there's a lot of things that are hard for them to understand, and they're even hard for us as post-Easter, post-resurrection people to read about and look upon and, and wrestle with. It's hard for us to even understand. But this much is clear. Jesus is talking about his coming suffering and death and about his coming resurrection from his death. Jesus said, you will weep. By the way, that's not surprising. Just recently, we've had two funerals here. Jesus himself acknowledged that it was never supposed to be this way. He acknowledged that when his dear friend Lazarus died and he wept. It's not supposed to be this way. You weep, Jesus said, but the world, it'll rejoice. This is the world that hates God. This is the world that wants nothing to do with Jesus. 
And so there are a couple of good reasons that stand out right away regarding why the disciples would weep. Because neither the disciples nor the world knew what would happen in a little while. Yes, he had been telling them and pointing them ahead to what would occur, but it just wasn't registering. They just didn't get it. Second, Jesus' death is a good reason for his disciples to weep because, well, death kills Jesus. <laughs> this isn't some, you know, imagery. This is real death. Jesus died. He was buried under our sin. He was buried under the world's sin. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, died. So weeping is appropriate. But then Jesus says, your sorrow will turn to joy. The disciples then, they had the same personalities, but Easter then happened. They saw him again. Easter happened. The resurrection happened. They saw him. And by the way, I love actually how the text says this, but he, it actually says, I will see you again. Did you catch that? Just subtly there, there's a whole other sermon for another year for me, but here it is, he seeks us out. He seeks out his apostles, his disciples. I will see you again. I will come to you in the midst of your grief and your sorrow. Easter happened. They saw him and then they knew they got it. It took them a while, but they knew the shepherd had laid down his life for his sheep, and then he took it back up again. And three times then, in the midst of the resurrection account that we have, he tells them, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. In their doubt, in their lack of understanding, Jesus comes and Jesus restores them. There was nothing they could offer. There was nothing they could do. Jesus just said, come, follow me. Oh, yes, joy. But the joy came from outside of them. As we read in John 20 a couple of weeks ago, when they saw the Lord, they were overjoyed. You see, there was nothing they could do. Easter turned sorrow into joy. Now, our situation is much different than the apostles then. Even though we see things after the events of Easter, we have the full completed story. The final Easter has not yet occurred. The final resurrection has not yet occurred. And so we find ourselves living in this now and not yet time. I love how uh, Peter in his first letter uh, says, 
For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Notice he didn't say you will. You are. Right here, right now. It's in that same section of chapter 1, 1 Peter, that he actually talks about, though for a little while, there's that word again, you may have to suffer various trials of all sorts. But right in the midst of that, we're already receiving the goal of our faith, salvation of our souls. Yes, joy, but joy comes from outside of us. It comes from the Lord. Our situation is much different. But we still find ourselves living in this struggle with weeping and mourning while the world is rejoicing. And it did rejoice. It rejoiced over God being dead. It rejoiced over this Jesus who was stirring things up. And still today, the world rejoices while the world seems to be destroying itself. The world rejoices when success and wealth are more important than compassion. The world hates God when our comfort is more important than loving God and loving our neighbors. The world rejoices when love is restrained and we only talk to people who agree with us. Rather than engaging them in conversation or even stooping down and serving them as Jesus served us and said, and you do likewise. The world rejoices, and we should weep. So where is the joy? Oh, Easter turns our sorrow to joy. Easter gives us joy that even in our mourning is unending. You can look for your sins, but you won't find them. Jesus took them with him to the cross and the grave, and then he left them there in the tomb. And there is unending joy. We may look at the world and see how it's out of control, but the world could not hold him down. He is alive. Does this world and this life seem to surround us and crush us with hate and sorrow? And then you remember that Jesus has broken the chains of this world and death. He lives. Easter turns sorrow to joy. Jesus says, no one can take this joy from you. You hear how emphatic that is? He doesn't say, don't let anybody take it from you. I heard that you know, in different ways and phrases kind of growing up. Don't let them take that from you. No, no, no. It's an absolute, here's how it is, no one can take this joy from you. He doesn't say that our lives will no longer be filled with suffering or trials. Sure, those things will come, and we won't be happy about those trials. But, we're not talking about happiness here. 
Happiness is different than joy. Happiness is rooted in earthly circumstances that change with the wind. Joy, joy is in our resurrected Lord. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians, while in prison, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. In prison, suffering, thinking he's near death. And he says, rejoice. Because his joy was not rooted in his earthly circumstances, but in his resurrected Lord. So let these words ring in your ears today and every day. No one will take your joy from you. I was thinking about that um, Easter response that we use. Um, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. You did actually a very good job of it this morning. But have you ever noticed sometimes when in worship during the Easter season, and I, I think there's some churches that pretty much it's Easter Sunday and then it's gone. But remember what Luther said, every Sunday is a little Easter, so it could actually be um, a good exchange instead of us saying the Lord be with you and you respond and also with you you know it would be a very appropriate thing for us to greet each other with every Sunday but have you noticed sometimes it just kind of feels connived forced obligatory the pastor said it Come on, let's say it again, you know. I've been on that side. I spent more years on that side of the pulpit than on this side. I know that reality. There are some times I just don't feel particularly joyful. But here's the point. It doesn't depend on you or me or what's going on in our lives. That's not what matters. That's the point, because it's not about us and our circumstances. It's not up to you and me. It's about Easter. It's about what Jesus has done. So let me help you ingrain what I'm trying to say into you a little bit. Pretend for a moment, even if you came here this morning, you're somehow burdened and not feeling real joyful. Pretend you are, and then respond to this. Christ is risen. Now think about a recent day when you were carrying with yourself some burden, some sorrow, some trial, some doubt, And then respond. Christ is risen. Now consider that you are somehow uncertain and fearful for the future. And respond. Christ is risen. 
my dear friends, Easter turns sorrow into unending joy. The text said, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. I want you to leave here this morning with these words of Jesus ringing in your ears and engraved on your hearts. No one will take your joy from you. Hear these words not as the words of man, but these are the very words of God for you and for me. They're not just words to make us feel good. They are words from God. No one will take your joy from you. This is the promise of unending joy. Amen.